I want to thank my colleagues, as always, for working together for the way things come together in our worship. My sermon title for today is Too Many Thermometers, Not Enough Thermostats. And I appreciate all of my colleagues uh, in, in their help today for Mark for setting the stage for worship with beautiful music. To Amy for that appropriate litany, God is making all things new. You are making all things new through us. And to Dan for that reminder that our transformation is an ongoing process. It doesn't happen once, it continues with every insight, with every change. So may God speak to us today through worship together and through a scripture um, that is old, that was spoken to a church 2,000 years ago, that, it, that we might be inspired by it today. I have a Tuesday morning Bible study, twice a month, first Tuesday, third Tuesday. I'd love to have you join us. We have a small group, but we have a wonderful time. We do some different things. Sometimes we study a book. Sometimes we study a book of the Bible. Sometimes we take one verse or a passage at a time. This past week, I said to my Tuesday morning Bible study, would you help me prepare for Sunday's sermon? You know, Amy and I have been re-preaching sermons this summer, 10 sermons. Well, this is the first sermon I've written in, uh, in, in 10 weeks. And so I asked my Bible study group if they would help me to prepare the sermon by, uh, by studying the text together. It's fascinating. I did something I haven't done in a long time. I went back to the Greek text and looked word by word at the Greek text to study the first two verses of the 12th chapter of Romans. Really fascinating. And the source I was using um, gave us a pretty wooden translation, trying to help us see the roots of the Greek words, help us to understand what kind of verbs were used to give us a real, um, a very wooden sense of the basic um, meanings of the Greek words. So I want to read for you the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 in the New Revised Standard Version. And then I want to read them to you. I don't have an hour to spend like we did on Tuesday looking at every word and how these words, um, why these words uh, mean what they mean and how they're translated. But I do want to give you that translation that we worked through this past Tuesday and make a couple comments. So from the New Revised Standard Version, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the way we translated it on Tuesday morning after looking very detailed at the, at the Greek text. I stand beside you, brothers and sisters, to call you. Paul isn't speaking from a distance. He's been with them. He's appealing to them out of relationship. I stand beside you to call you through God's mercying love. Mercy is a verb, an action. God never just stands there and has pity. God shows mercy. So, so Paul says, I appeal to you through God's mercying love to use your whole self. The Greek word is body, soma, but it's different from a Greek word that means flesh. 
This isn't talking just about the flesh of our bodies, but our whole selves. Um, so, so use your whole self to also stand beside, to become a living sacrifice. Interesting irony there. Sacrifice, we think of something being killed. And so we have the paradox of being a living sacrifice. That ongoing transformation of learning to die to one another, for one another, dying to self. Become a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is interesting. This is, the New Revised says, spiritual worship. That's kind of a religious sounding thing, isn't it? Um, but the word in Greek is logos from which we get the, the, the word was with God, logos. And it's also the word that, uh, from which we get our word logic. So we translated this. This is the logical, this is logical, the divine service you should give. And then the second verse is the one I want us to concentrate on this morning. Do not be being together formed. It's an action verb. Do not be being together formed with this world. The, world, the word there, with this world, uses the, the word scheme. So don't be actively being formed by the world's schemes, but be being after formed by upnewing your mind. After formed, the word metamorphosis, to change completely after upnewing our mind, the prefix ana. Up newing. It's a fresh way of thinking, of looking, a fresh insight into the world. Do not be being together formed with this world, but be being after formed by up newing your mind. So you, you may be testing what is God's will, and that is which is good, that which is good and well-pleasing and mature, the direction to which God is bending us. That word mature uses the Greek word telos. We get our word telescope from it. It's a way of seeing what's in front of us, seeing the future. There is direction. There is purpose. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We are going somewhere. So knowing the will of God is knowing that which is good and well-pleasing and mature the direction to which God is bending us. I hope that insight helps you as we look at this text today and consider too many thermometers, not enough thermostats. You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. If you live with another person, any person, man, woman, trans person, young, old, black, white, I don't care. If you live with another human being, I do not have to tell you about thermometers and thermostats. Everyone has a thermometer and everyone wants to control the thermostat. You know what I mean, don't you? You know, for some people, 70 degrees is too hot. And for others like me, well, when the temperature hits about 68 degrees, I'm ready to break out the fleece and build a fire. There is nothing worse than being in the room with an otherly climatized human being who has the control of the thermostat. Everyone has a thermometer. Everyone is a thermometer. And everyone wants to control the thermostat. 
Martin Luther King Jr. once said, there are also human thermometers and thermostats regarding religion and culture in following Jesus' call or not, in being transformed or being conformed to this world. His insight is a critique that we need to hear today. Most people, he said, are thermometers that record or register the temperature of a majority opinion, not thermostats that transform and regulate the temperature of society. What about you? Thermometer or thermostat? Are you just measuring, taking note, recording the temperature of the majority opinion around you? And these days, that majority opinion is seldom an actual majority. It's often the only opinion we hear. Too many Americans live within a cultural bubble of our own choosing. Truth is in trouble these days. Our culture is increasingly unable to distinguish truth from fiction. Facts do not change our opinions and our positions most folks, a lot of folks, would rather create or share some visceral post on social media if it demeans those with whom we disagree than to read a well-researched article or a documented study that might prove they are wrong. In a New Yorker magazine article entitled, Why Facts Do Not Change Our Minds, Elizabeth Colbert says, as everyone who's followed the research knows, any grad student with a clipboard can demonstrate that reasonable seeming people are often totally irrational. And rarely has this insight seemed more relevant than it does right now. Most people are just thermometers. Choosing our favorite news channel liking and forwarding, tweeting and retweeting our increasingly divisive opinions, staying cloistered in our comfortable neighborhoods, our increasingly segregated schools. The fact, this fact of our culture should be particularly problematic for Christian people because Jesus calls us to be salt and light in this world. That is thermostats that transform society, not just thermometers. Be, do not be being together formed with this world schemes, but be being after formed by upnewing your mind. The Greek text makes clear that being conformed and being transformed are both action verbs, as Dan says, ongoing. They keep ongoing. They suggest ongoing pursuit. Do not be about the business of being together formed continually by the schemes of this world, but be about actively pursuing, intentionally seeking those things that will up new our thinking. Such inspiring, uplifting, spirit-filled activity will result in after-forming us in Christ-likeness. 
If you spend too much time on social media these days, you are likely being together formed by the schemes of algorithms that are constantly pushing you in one direction or another. So I ask you today, what are you doing to be actively engaged in being after-formed in upnewing your mind? Do not be being together formed with the schemes of this world, but be being after-formed by the upnewing of your mind. Now the first thing that people of faith need to be reminded, and this is not always obvious to American Christians, is that the ways of God are different from the ways of this world. They really are different. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, the psalmist reminds us. We live in a great country. The vision of democratic government is inspirational the potential of economic capitalism world-altering. The privileges and responsibilities of freedom are staggering. The soaring affirmations of our founding documents, unalienable rights, liberty and justice for all. The goals bravely envisioned by our forebears echo the calls of scripture, sacred scripture. But the good old U.S. of A. is not the kingdom of God, not by a long shot. The American democracy we practice is not God's governance. The free market is not biblical economics. Now, these ideals may have been divinely inspired, but our execution of them is not. Our ever-increasing income inequality divides the haves and the have-nots further apart. The anger of our partisan and cultural divisions makes enemies of friends. The racial injustice that burns hot even after 400 years belies our most fundamental vision. And amorality will never be allowed to run unfettered in the highest halls of power when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a great country. Our ideals are grand. But the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. Too many Christians are like the pastor who said he was raised to believe that being a good Christian and being a good American are the same thing. They are not the same thing. Do not be being together formed by this world's schemes. And our context of this world is the United States of America. But be being after formed by upnewing your mind. In a commentary on this text, Daniel Clendenin again quotes Martin Luther King Jr. There are some things in our world to which people of goodwill must be maladjusted. I confess that I never intend to become adjusted to the evils of segregation and the crippling effects of discrimination to the moral degeneracy of religious bigotry and the corroding effects of narrow sectarianism to economic conditions that deprive people of work and food and to the insanities of militarism and the self-defeating effects of physical violence. 
But too many Christians have instead become adjusted to the evils of our culture, unable even to identify our gross materialism, our profane militarism, our perverse partisanship as ungodly. In response to the quotation from Dr. King, Daniel Clendenin says, Christians must be nonconformist and that our conformity has a specific direction. So let me quickly suggest three differences in the values of our culture and the specific direction of the nonconformity of the way of Jesus that are essential in biblical understanding. Many other dichotomies could be suggested, but as I think of the sweep of biblical wisdom, these three stand out. The first transformation is probably the most important of all. If we could learn this, all the other transformations would take care of themselves. It is the transformation from selfishness to inclusion, from individualism to community, from that which is mine to that which is ours. Our culture insists that the center of our focus is and should be me, my rights, my money, my freedom, my guns, my right not to wear a mask. It's about me. But biblical justice is always bigger than that. And this is the very first ethical lesson we are taught in Scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain, with his brother's blood still on his hand, asked God. And throughout Scripture, the answer is unequivocal. Yes, we are our brothers and sisters' keepers. It is never us only first. We must be about the business of upnewing our minds into the image of Christ. Jesus did not even consider his life his own. And claiming to follow his way means being after form to seek the good of the community over the good of the self. But this is not the way of the world. The second transformation is from what I call law to mercy, judgment to forgiveness, harsh legalism to grace. Our culture loves to claim that law and order is justice. You know, do the crime, serve the, serve the time, lock them up and throw away the key, deport them, if they don't pay, evict them, even in the worst economic recession in a hundred years. Where is the mercy in our systems? In raw numbers and as a percentage of our population, the United States has the largest prison population in the world and the highest per capita incarceration rate, greater than China and Russia and North Korea. There are more black men in prison today than they, than they were held as slaves before emancipation. And many people think the answer is just more prisons. When will we see that it is the American soul that is in bondage? We will not be free as a nation as long as a heartless, thoughtless law and order rules the day. The biblical word translated judgment 
can also be translated justice. It's the same word. And the word gets translated in the biblical text as well as in the practices of a nation based on the intent of those in power, based on the heart. Yes, there are standards. There is discipline. There are consequences. There is judgment in biblical justice. But the love of God and the way of Jesus begin with grace and end with mercy always. And that is not the way of this world. Now the final afterforming that is needed is the difficult transformation from power to love. We do love power, don't we? We even define God by that concept. Almighty, omnipotent, Lord over all. And if God is power, then power is God. But Scripture tells us there is a better way. Paul calls it a more excellent way. It is the way of love. It is the way that gives up power for the sake of the other, for the community, for the greater good. It is the way that forsakes uncompromising judgment, letting mercy have the final word. Fighting fire with fire always only makes for more fire. Parents know that fighting a rebellious teenager just with more and harder rules is a losing strategy. Many have lost the teenager in that fight. And if you want to point to brutal and oppressive regimes that have cracked down on popular uprisings with crushing, killing force as a counter to my argument, I will ask you if that is who you want us to be. What will we become if the only answer to people's pain is inflicting more pain? You did not hear the way of Jesus spoken in the platform of the Democratic Convention this week, and you will not hear it from the Republicans this coming week. I do not expect the world to understand, but the followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. We are supposed to see the world differently. We are supposed to offer daring, bold, unconventional wisdom from the one whose only power was sacrificial love. The way of Jesus is a different way. It is a difficult way. It may cost you your life, but authoritarians and empires that have used crushing power to control people fill the dustbin of human history. The way of Jesus remains, and it is the way that leads to life but it is not the way of this world. Others over self, community over individualism, social justice over personal salvation, mercy over judgment, grace over law, love over power. Paul says, if you will upnew your mind with the mind of Christ, you will be testing the will of God in that process. It's another active action verb. 
the doing of these things, living a life that is oriented to biblical justice is testing God's will. The grammatical construction used here is an appositive, that is a noun that follows another noun renaming the first noun. So up new your mind and you will be testing God's will, comma, that which is good and well-pleasing and mature. God's will, it's one of those religious sounding words, but God's will, Paul says, is that which is good and well-pleasing and mature. And you can test the truth of that statement by living it. You can know God's will only by experiencing what is good and well-pleasing and mature. I do not expect our increasingly secular culture and the rulers of our empire to understand, but it is our calling. We are supposed to be transformed from the conformity of American culture into the body of Christ. Do not be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. Change the temperature. May it be so. Amen.